Welcome to our online messages. Today, Pastor Scott is in the book of Acts, chapter 21. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you today. It is November. That's kind of scary what, what that means in the next few weeks and months. But November means a couple things for us. It means name tag November. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. And so I'm glad to see some of you bringing your own name tags or making some out there. And, and so continue to join us. Get creative this next for this next Sunday, all right? Make your own if you have to, and, and then uh, we get to know you. I got my own, check this out, I got my own lanyard with my name on the lanyard. I mean, woo! That was a free gimmick from somebody a few years ago. But anyway, yeah, you know, search through your drawer and your in closets and whatever that is and find that name tag, make it, whatever it is. It also means this. It means Veterans Day tomorrow. Aren't we thankful? We live in a country where we can worship God freely. Thankful for the people who have served our country. One more time, let's just say thank you to them. Thank you. Hopefully you'll be able to take part of the big parade tomorrow downtown here. But November also means this for us here at Willamette Community Church. We start getting ready for Christmas. We don't wait for December. And it's not just because we like Christmas music or something like that. But we think this is such a great story that God would send his son that we got to jump in this story a little early because this story causes us to worship God in greater ways. And this story says, wait a second, it's less about us. It's more about others. It's about showing the love of God. And we've known as we've conspired together over the last 12 years or so that when we worship God, all of a sudden we say, wait, this season, then, when we make this about God, it affects how we spend our money and how we give our time and money and resources and energy and all of this, and how that causes to us to have a greater love for the people around us. As it was said by Bethany and Leah earlier, we're going to take our special offering, our special offering for missions next Sunday, and so I want you to come prepared for that. Our goal is to raise $30,000 above our regular offerings. And as you saw in the video, it goes here in our community. And you can also bring in food and blankets. And, and we want to bless Albany. And then what we also want to do is we want to bless Mexico. We have a relationship with the church uh, uh, just crossing the border there in Arizona. And so we want to bless that church and that community again. And then we started caring about 12 years ago for the lack of clean water that is throughout the world, especially in West Africa. And so we've helped put in more than 12 clean water wells. You saw some of the videos there. It's a blessing in our part when we get to go and say, uh, because we understand what God has given us, we want to give to you. And they're like, clean water? Are you kidding me? What a gift. I mean, we just have some, and we've left it on stage all week, and no, nobody even used that. Places around the world, they die from lack of clean water. And so a portion of that will go to put in another clean water well or two uh, in the next year. And so I want you to be ready for that uh, offering this next Sunday. Uh, I also want to say this about it. 
is that this idea, where would they get this idea of blessing their community and then some of their neighbors and then around the world? And this really comes from the book of Acts. When Jesus, after he's been raised to life, he's going to be up with the Father and to prepare a place for us and do other things like that. But he said this, he says, you now are going to be my witnesses. You're going to speak for me. You're going to be my ambassadors. And he said, do this here in this city of Jerusalem and do it in the area of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we're just reminded of that, and we want to bless our city that we're a part of, and, and then the surrounding areas to Mexico and to the ends of the earth, even in West Africa. And so anyway, I, I'm glad that you're going to get to be a part of that in the next couple weeks. When Jesus said that, though, to his disciples, he said, you'll be my witnesses. The idea is uh, we're going to be in a battle. We're going to be in a fight. Uh, when you're speaking for me, when you're my ambassadors, it's going to be difficult. In fact, that word witnesses, it gets translated to our word martyr. Martyr. You're going to be my martyrs. You're going to go out and say things, and, and you may even lose some uh, privileges in life, and, but you're going to do that as you're going to be my witnesses. And Jesus knew that this would be a constant battle and fight for us. And we're going to see this again today as we look in Acts chapter 21. Grab your Bibles, if you would. We're going to use our Bibles a lot this morning. Acts chapter 21. I mean, we always use them, but today we're going to use them a lot. Acts chapter 21, page 930, if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you. I've entitled this message today, Pains and Prisons. Pains and Prisons. And as we're going to see... We're going to see it from this story, pains and prisons. And here's the point I want you to catch today. This is the point. Write this down if you would. That God uses pains and prisons to develop my faith, character, and ministry. That God would use pains and prisons in each of our lives to develop our faith, our trust in Him that is so valuable to Him. And our character, because he is shaping us now, but also for all eternity. And he's shaping us and developing us for ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a minister of Jesus. You don't have to have your name on the worship program at the church to be a minister. You are a minister. You're going out into a family and into a neighborhood and a workplace and a school, and you are a minister. Now, God uses pains and prisons to develop us in this way. Now, let's be honest. I'd rather talk to you today about health and wealth, all right? I'd rather talk to you about the fact that if you follow Jesus, he's going to make all your body fine, and he's going to make your bank account better. I mean, that would be more fun for me to talk about. But as I'm reading through the book of Acts, I don't see that it's always going to be good for our physical health and for our bank account. But I see that it's about pains and prisons, and then when I look at the life of Jesus, I see that it's not about necessarily physical health or wealth. In fact, the, the one that we are worshiping, the one that we call Lord, he was crucified in his early 30s. So this isn't a message about health and wealth. This is much more a message about pains and prisons. But I'm going to show you that it's good. I'm going to show you that it's good. I really don't like pains and prisons. It might be a literal prison. It might be for you a metaphorical prison. But we're going to see how God uses pains and prisons to develop our faith, our character, and our ministry. He does that for us. 
So again, I wish I could tell you something more fun than pains and prisons, but I can't tell you anything more profitable. I can't than pains and prisons because what God does in them. That God is going to do great things through these pains and prisons because he wants to do greater things through us as individuals. So I got to tell you that as I prepare a message like this, God seems to say, I want to try my servant Scott first to make sure he believes this. And so God does this whenever I preach certain things. He's like, okay. And, and I knew that this time last Sunday that I'd be talking about pains and prisons. I just, I, I didn't really want to experience them. But as I'm reading through Acts, I'm like, We're, we've got to get through here. And God says, I'm going to teach you this. I, I don't really like this idea. So what I really want to do today is just preach this message to myself and so that I can kind of hear myself through the sound system. Because I need this message as much as anybody. And if you just want to eavesdrop on my conversations and what I've been learning from God, you're free to do that today. And so if you're here to hear some of our, uh, my eavesdroppings, just repeat after me. I'm here, to hear. I'm here to hear. Yeah. I think God's excited when we have that mentality. I'm here to hear Because God wants to develop every single one of us today. He wants to grow us. And if you want God to develop you, repeat after me. I want God to develop me. And he hears that. And he goes, oh, my kids, they're ready. All right, then let's just jump into this Acts chapter 21 today. Let me give you a quick context where we are. We're about 25 years after Jesus has been crucified where he has, it killed him, where they buried him because that's what you do with dead bodies. But catch this, this Jesus who was killed and buried as a dead man, he was raised to life and came to life and was around people for the next 40 days, appearing to 500 people. And so you just have to know this, that this miracle happened. Now, when we're going to read this, this miracle had been about 25 years in the rearview mirror. And it's important for us to remember that when Jesus said things like, they're going to kill me, but I'll rise on the third day. And when it happened, what he says has merit. Can I get an amen? And so when we start hearing about Jesus and what he would say, it's like, okay, uh, I'll listen to him today. I'll listen to this one who miraculously came to life. He called that shot. Now, we've been reading about a guy named Paul, and we'll read him today and focus on his life. He started out as a Jesus hater, all right? He thought Jesus was way off base. He thought Jesus was ruining everything that was in the Old Testament. And so when Paul came and found Jesus followers like us, He would want to kill you because he thought you were spreading the wrong news. He would want to imprison you because he wants your message silenced. That's how Paul started off. But God did a miracle with Paul. God says, I'm going to change this guy. I know he's a hater of me, but this is what God does. He says, I'm going to turn my haters into worshipers. All right, and some of you may have started off as Jesus haters. We at least most likely were Jesus questioners, but God loves to do the miracle of turning Jesus haters into Jesus worshipers. 
And so God did this with this man. And for the last 20 years, he had been telling people, wait a second, I I said bad things about this Jesus, but he is the son of God. And he changed my life. And he, he is the one to follow. Let me tell you about him. And so Paul talks about him every chance he gets. Now, for those of you who know that God has done a miracle in your life, bringing you from death to life, bringing you from lost to found, repeat after me and say, God's done a miracle in me. Some of you know that. Don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of this. We need to encourage each other and say, wait, God's done a miracle in you. And if he's done it, he's not going to stop. So for the past 20 years, Paul had been talking about this Jesus. He's developing as a Christ follower. He goes on all these mission trips, and he's just finishing up a third one. And he's been doing this for years, developing people and saying, it's all about Jesus. He did all the work. You just believe in him and trust him. He will forgive your sins. He will make you a new person. There's nothing you can add to what Jesus did. You just respond to his great love for you. And Paul does this this, this, his entire life. He's developing people. He's building churches. And he goes and goes and he does this over and over and over. This is where we are. Chapter 21, verse 7. When we had finished, Luke writes, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of Gentiles. Now let me just stop. This is a little weird. But they're sitting together and maybe Paul's taking off his belt because he's going to sit down and relax for a bit. And this guy comes and takes the belt and says, The person who owns it, this... This is a message from God. This person is going to be bound. This person is going to face uh, imprisonment as he enters Jerusalem. They saw that, thought it was a little weird, but said, okay, he's saying this is from God. Okay, we'll take it seriously here. Verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. We know it's his belt. We're like, Paul, don't go there. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Let's stop there for a minute. We start hearing the ideas of pains and prisons. Agabus is saying, for Paul, there's going to be pains and prisons. He's already experienced some, but there's going to be some more. And it might be shocking that Paul would say something like that, say, no, 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 no. I'm going there. Stop crying for me. Look at that again in verse uh, 13. He says, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, But I'm even ready to die in Jerusalem. Those words might sound surprising, like, man, that guy, he's he's different. But go back to chapter 20, if you would, real quickly. Chapter 20, go back. This is what we looked at last week. 
When Paul was across the Mediterranean Sea in Ephesus, he says this in verse 24. He says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry. In other words, he was saying this, if only I can stay in the fight, that's my call in life. It's not retirement and comfy and just go play golf every day or whatever it is, do some crocheting or something like this. Uh, But no, this is my life, to stay in the fight and to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. This is what my life's about. It might be pains and prisons, but I'm going to stay in this fight. I've got to tell people that there is a God who made them and loved them regardless of their sin and that they could turn to him and get forgiveness and a new heart and a new life and a hope. That's my life. So it's not too surprising that he says, if they kill me, okay. Because he says, this is what I'm all about. And he said it last chapter in chapter 20. Paul understood that pains and prisons developed his faith, developed my trust in God. Paul understood that pains and prisons, they developed my character. God is shaping me to be somebody now, but also for all eternity. There will be rewards and blessings for all eternity. He's shaping me now. That God is shaping a ministry that somehow I might get to say something and do something And somehow somebody might be brought from death to life because of me even. And so Paul says, I'm going to stay in this fight. Now I want to walk you through the next couple chapters real fast. So lick your fingers. We're going to read some of this in Acts chapter 21. Start at verse 30 if you would. I want you to see some of the pains and prisons that Paul experienced. Because... Yes, this is what Paul is facing, but you and I are experiencing pains and prisons as well. 21 verse 30, follow along. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. There's some pain, there's some prison that he's facing. Go down to verse 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested him. And ordered him to be bound with two chains. Do you see pains in prisons? This guy's got a tough life. Go over to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 24. It says, The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, to be examined by flogging... Those are just three nice words. Oh, examined by flogging. I've had exams before. People ask me a few questions. No, they were going to beat the living pulp out of him. They were going to strap him down and whip his back so that flesh would come off of his back so that hopefully he would renounce this talk about Jesus. This was the plan. You see pains in prisons. You can't just skip over this when you read, oh, examine him by flogging. Figure out what flogging is and say, wait a second, this guy was going to face that? Now, I want you to read these chapters uh, later this week. I'm just going to hit the highlights. Go over to chapter 23 real quickly. Verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So that was on his head. People are not going to eat or drink until I'm dead. All right? If you would, go down to verse 21. 
But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush. This does not sound fun for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. These are pains and prisons that Paul is facing. I'd hate that to know, okay, uh, tomorrow if I go back to work, there are 40 people who have made a vow never to eat or drink till I'm dead. I'd be on the run. Go to chapter 24, if you would doesn't stop. How about verse 5? It says, For we have found this man a plague, that's what they called him, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, because there's this Jesus from Nazareth. He even tried to profane the temple. Well, not really. That's their opinion of it. But we seized him. Pains and prisons. Go down to verse 23, if you would. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, imprisoned. Go to verse 27, last one real quickly. When two years had elapsed and Governor Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Left him in prison, mind you, for two years. Just chuck him back there and then forget about him for two years. This is this guy, Paul. His life is filled with pains and prisons. Now, if it was just about a fun life, well, Paul missed out. But if pains and prisons develop our faith, and if pains and prisons develop our character in our ministry, Paul's actually in a good place, right? And so Paul, he had a rough for a couple years. But he's heroic. I mean, this guy is struck down, but he knows he's not destroyed. Times like this, they get us feeling like, I want out, right? If you face anything like this and somebody says things about you, you know, we want out. We either want to fight if we can or we just want to get out of Dodge. Times like this, though, are meant to develop our faith, develop your character. Develop your ministry. And the answer is found then in how we view the pains in the prisons. Either you hide and run away from them, try to avoid them, numb them, medicate them, or you say, wait, pains in prisons? That could be my friend because God, I believe, is using them to develop my faith, my trust in Him, my character. He's, he's growing me. He's going to grow my ministry, how I can share with others. Now, Paul had some practice at this. We just read this. This was in a couple, course of a couple years. But Paul had practice with this even before. About three years before all of this happened, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth called 2 Corinthians. I want you to go there with me, if you would. 2 Corinthians, page 964. I told you we were going to use your Bible a little more. Go over there toward the end. Page 964, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Or for those of you on there, your phone's a couple clicks away. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read through this, and boy, this deserves a message on its own. So I'm just going to go through this rather quickly. I want you to read this and spend some time in this this week. It's part of our reading you'll see on your list. Follow along as I read some of this, starting at verse 1. Paul, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
I'm writing this to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints, the ones that are set apart by God, who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be, or some of your Bibles might say praise be, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies, that's beautiful, underline that, Father of mercies, don't lose sight of that. And the God of all comfort, don't lose sight of that one either, that's our God. Who comforts us in all of our affliction, Paul says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He says this. Let me stop for a second. He says, okay, we have afflictions. I've had them. You've had them. What happens is when we have afflictions, we cry out to God and he comforts us. This is growing closer to God. We say, God, I need help. He shows up and we're growing closer to him. We're trusting him. But the idea is then, then when others struggle and need comfort, guess what? Our cup is filled with comfort, and we can pour it out and show that same comfort, and we can help others along the way. He says this is just the mathematical equation of this. You draw closer to God, you go closer to Him, and you eventually help others along the way. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure, right, underline those words, patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings. You will also share in our comfort. Then he gets to verse 8, and these are some of my favorite verses, the next few right here. He says this, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We've talked about this since earlier in the book of Acts. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Have you ever felt utterly burdened beyond your strength? Just show me a sign. Yeah, not, not just today, but yeah, but utterly burdened. Like, I can't go on. He goes, we were there, and we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Okay, so this guy's had it tough. He's just reminding them, I want you to remember this. But he says this then at the end of verse 9. But that we, that was, all of these afflictions, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If I rely on myself, that's minimal strength. If I rely on myself, that's minimal wisdom. But when I rely on God who can raise the dead, that's my strength. The afflictions we've had have caused us not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. That's faith. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Do you see the beauty of those few verses there? Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let me stop there. And as I'm reading Paul and, and hearing what he's saying to this church, he says, I want you to know there have been times where we have been burnt out and worn out. Anybody else been burnt out and worn out? Just give me an amen. Amen. Okay. 
He says, there have been times like that. There have been times where we've been beat up and fed up. If you've ever been beat up and fed up, give me an amen. Amen. But he says, these were pathways, not obstacles. These were pathways for me, not obstacles. Write this down if you would, that my pains and prisons are pathways to God's power. That the pains I experience and the prisons that God would allow are actually pathways for me to experience the power of God. And if I can start thinking like that, then all of a sudden it's like, well, then pains might be good because I receive God's power. These prisons, whatever they might be, are good because they allow me to experience God's power. Here's the problem with us, and I'll say us because I'm one of them too. When things go well with us, we have this tendency to say, I just don't need you, God, okay? I'm pretty good on my own. The bank account's good right now. The physical health's pretty good right now. The relationships are good right now. Give me back the steering wheel of my life. I'll take it from here. Just nod if you do that, all right? So God says, you know what? You're not meant to be in the driver's seat on this one. You're meant to be on the passenger seat. So I'll bring about some problems, some prisons, so that you say, I can't do this. And he goes, exactly. That's what I've wanted you to always say. So now, let me drive. Let me give you power. And you don't see this when things are going well. Go back to verse 4, if you would. At the start of verse 4, it says, who comforts us in all of our affliction. So when we have affliction, that means there's a need. There's a problem going on. God says, that's good. I got that. I'm going to provide a comforter, the Holy Spirit. I want you to write down a couple words here. The Holy Spirit. This is one way we get the power of God. He says, yeah, I'll allow affliction in your life because I want you to rely on my spirit, not you. I want you to rely on my spirit. Go down later in verse 4. It says this, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Again, a need arises and we have affliction. And so we trust God and he gives us his spirit to strengthen us. But he also gives us people. Write this down. He gives us his spirit, but he gives us his people. He gives us his people to empower us, to encourage us. You see, it's not a gimmick that we'd say just bring a name tag or put one on. You need to know people. This is part of God's power for your life to have brothers and sisters that you would know that would care for you and you could care for them. If you just show up and say, I just want to hear some good music and be entertained by a message, then get out of here, you're missing some of the point. That God uses people for his power. Go down to verse 11, if you would. And then Paul says, you also must help us by prayer. Write this word down, spirit, people, and prayer. This is how God empowers us. And when affliction comes, when pains and prisons come, God says, I've got my spirit you can rely on. I've got my people you can rely on. And you have this thing called prayer where you can talk to me and you can ask others to talk to me and I will work through that. Now, as I'm looking at this, I just want to do a little review real quickly, if I could, of my week. Tuesday, I came to work and it didn't take too long before I start getting some bad news. Tuesday, I already started feeling overwhelmed by some things, but I just got a few extra pieces of disheartening news. 
And my spirit was a little bummed out. And so I remember yeah, I sat down and journaled and I talked to God and said, okay, I'm going to need you. And I sent a note to my wife and said, hey, pray for me this day. It's starting off a little rough. She says, okay. Made it through Tuesday. Wednesday came and I sent her a note and it said, Wednesday's rougher than Tuesday. I'm like, oh, my heart's broken. I, I want to give up. You know, and I, I get melodramatic. You know, you know I'm, a, I'm a drama queen, okay? And I, I, I said, honey, I just want to give up on life. I want to give up on ministry. I just want to give up on everything. I did hear this sermon last week about staying in the fight, so I'll try. But pray for me. And she did. And I spent time with God and said, God, you've got to help me because I'm having a difficulty staying in the fight. Now, here's what happened. This is how good God is. All of a sudden, I had a few brothers in my life sent me notes, call me up, whatever it was, email, text, and say, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? And I'm like, that's kind of funny. Because if there was ever a time I needed prayer, it's the last two days, so thanks for asking. And I sent them some notes. I'm not joking, but for the first time in a really long time, I had sisters, ladies in the church say, how can we pray for you? In fact, we'd like to pray for you on Sunday mornings at 8.30. Let's invite it to everybody. But we just want to pray for you then. But how can we pray for you now? And I'm like, really? This is pretty interesting because Tuesday and Wednesday have been tough for me. Thank you. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel a little empowered that people are praying for me and God's lifting me up. I'm not joking you, but I get an email Wednesday. I haven't had this email in months, but it was an email from Mexico saying, Pastor Connie and Alfredo are praying for me and us every single Wednesday night, praying for our church. And she said something to the effect, oh, Scott, you got to know this, that you're going to be on fire because God's empowering you because we're praying. We're not even eating on Wednesday night because we're praying. I'm like, thank you, God, for those beautiful people in Tabasco, Mexico. I'm like, God, <laughs> it's kind of funny because Tuesday and Wednesday, I kind of needed this. And he's like, I know. I've known all this all along. In fact, I know what your next week's going to be, and it's probably going to be worse. But that's all right. <laughs> more pains and more prisons will actually be a path to more power. And it didn't stop there. I went to a meeting Thursday, and we get to the meeting, and they said, why don't you get together in a group of guys, and why don't you guys pray for each other? And these two guys that I know pretty well said, how can we pray for you? And I'm just like, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I'm empowered enough. Too much now. Too many people praying for me. I'm like, wait a second. The pains and the prisons are pathways to God's power. Can I get an Amen. And this doesn't just happen to the guy on stage. It happens to you if you'd rely on God's spirit, if you'd rely on God's people, and if you'd rely on God through prayer. And so pray for one another. Thank you for those of you who write on these cards and say, pray for me, who humble yourself enough to say, pray for me, I need prayer. It's, God is working. He says, I, I just, I just want to see you guys being obedient and asking for prayer. I want to see you obedient and actually praying. And so my pains and my prisons are pathways to God's power. And I hear all of that. And by the end of the week, I say, okay, God, I'm not going to lose heart. I'll stay in the fight. I didn't feel like it a couple days ago, but I'll stay in the fight. I'm not going to lose heart because I know you are with me.
I know you're working. It just sometimes takes those pains and prisons to get there. Now go with me. I want to show you one last passage. Go to chapter 4, a couple pages down the road here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, page 965 if you're using this Bible. I want to finish with this. And again, you have to read all this on your own because it's so good. I only get to share a moment of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. He says, In light of what I've said for the last three chapters, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I want you to write this thought down first. My pains and my prisons actually point out God's mercy. My pains and my prisons actually point out God's mercy. Now, I wrestled with this for a bit. And I said, wait a second. You're saying you have this ministry by the mercy of God. And because of that, you don't lose heart. I'm thinking, okay, Paul, talk to me. What are you thinking that you have mercy from God? And Paul would say, just like any of us could, wait a second. Here's what I deserved. I deserved condemnation. I deserved an eternity apart from God. I deserved this life completely apart from God because of my sin. That's what I deserved. That's what I earned. I'm not getting that. God took that away, put it on Jesus. I'm not getting that. That's mercy. In fact, I deserve all the punishment for my sins. I'm not getting that. I'm getting forgiveness. That's mercy. He goes on and says, then God says, instead of just putting me in a jail and being completely purposeless, he goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you a job and a purpose, and I'm going to use you to open the eyes and hearts of others. And Paul says, that's mercy. God was merciful to me. And if you would understand, like I'm trying to understand how sinful I am and how much bad I deserved, the fact that I get to be on a stage talking about God, that is mercy. The fact that you woke up today, that's mercy. The fact that you get to go to work or school or a neighborhood and you get to be the light of the world, that's what? Mercy. And so my pains and my prisons actually point out that God's been merciful. And if God allowed pain and prisons to his son and crucified him, and that's what he thought of his beloved son, he says, wait, I'm going to use that, but it's actually mercy on the world. He's probably going to bring pains and prisons to me so that he can show mercy to the world. Like, wait a second, this is good stuff. God is caring for me through pains. I, I look at some of you. Some of you have received pain, the bad news of cancer. And because of that, that has turned into a ministry of those who have been diagnosed with cancer. For some of you, you have gone through divorce and you say, this was a terrible pain. I would have never wanted it in my life. But God has used that to show mercy to others who are going through the exact same thing. And that could be said of many other things. That God took your brokenness and you said, man, I wouldn't have wanted this for me. But that pain and that prison actually was God's mercy because now he's using me to show mercy to others. Can I get an amen? So verse 1, look at this one more time with me. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. The pains stink, the prisons stink, but we don't lose heart because we know God's being merciful. Go down to verse 7. 
but we have this treasure in jars of clay because this is really what we are, fragile jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. Catch what he says in verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Paul's saying this, I experience pains and prisons, but they're pathways to show God's power in me. I'm experiencing pains and prisons, but it really just points out that he's been merciful to me and he's being merciful to others that I get to talk to. Go to verse 10. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Ultimately, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, ultimately, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. Stop there for a second. I was thinking, okay, how did the resurrected life of Jesus come about? The resurrected king, the king that's preparing a home for us right now, the king that's praying for us right now, the king that is returning. How did that resurrected life come about? It first came about by a death. And if this happened to Jesus, there there would be a death so that God could show his power and bring resurrected life. Guess how we're going to see resurrected life in us? Not just the death of our mortal bodies, but a death to sin, a death to our way so that we could pursue God's way, a death to our choices so that we could have God's choices, a death to self so that we could have life and health. Verse 16, let's finish there. He says, so we don't lose heart. I mean, the pains and prisons would cause us to want to lose heart, but we don't. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, catch this, believers in Jesus, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now wait a second. This isn't light and momentary what he's going through. Or is it? (laughs) I mean, he's being shackled up. This isn't light. He's getting beaten. That's not light and momentary. Or is it? In comparison with the glory, the eternal glory that will be revealed in him. He's like, this is why I can say, they can beat me. I can have the worst days. But I want to talk about this Jesus because this trouble doesn't even compare with this glory that is coming our way. Verse 18, as we look then not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're transient, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. And we don't lose heart. And there are pains, and there are prisons, And if we look just at the physical part of that, the temporary part of that, that could crush us. But as Christ followers, we have eyes of faith that say, wait a second, I see beyond this. God's using these pains and prisons. You see, God's using my pain and my prison, and he's using it for my good. He is. 
Don't lose sight of this. He's using it for our good. In fact, repeat after me. My pains and prisons. What am I, I going to say here? Okay. God is using my pains and prisons for my good. You got to know that. He's using my pains and he's my prisons and he's using them for my good. And when I keep that, know that, and when I keep that in mind, I do not lose heart. I do not lose heart. You're looking at a guy up here that is pretty easy at losing heart. All right? A guy that can crumble pretty quickly. Pains and prisons, they can crush. But when I keep in mind the perspective, wait, God's using this for my good. He's developing my faith in him. I was able to write to my wife on some of those texts to her. I'd say, okay, this isn't good. But somehow God's got this. And I thought, Scott, you wouldn't have said that years ago. (laughs) You wouldn't have said that. I'm like, God, you're growing my faith. You're causing me to believe this. Yeah, in greater ways. You're growing my character. I'm not going to lash out. I'm going to trust you. You're actually then going to use my ministry. And I'll get to talk like this, and it will encourage people to not lose heart in the midst of their pains and prisons. So we're going to reflect and sing a couple songs here today. And I just want you to consider whatever pain you're experiencing whatever prison you feel like you're in, I want you to know that God's using that for your good. He's growing you. Trust Him. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Paul's story. You transformed him turned him into a hero. But you're doing that with us as well. You're transforming us and turning us into people who can take the pain and the prisons of broken bodies and broken relationships and broken finances and things like that and that can look to you and say, but God is using this to grow my trust in him. And he's using this to grow my character. And he's using this that I would be a greater storyteller of his grace. So God, I thank you that you do this over and over. Thank you that you did this with Jesus. That he was crushed for our sins, pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds, we've been healed. And as ones who've been healed, God, I ask that you help us not to lose heart, not to lose hope. It can be so easy. And I ask for myself, for my brothers and sisters in this room, that you would help us to look to you. I thank you that the, for the prayers that are being sent from Mexico on our behalf. God, help us to pray for them. I pray for the, or thank you for the prayers that are being sent from a little village in West Africa on our behalf. And I ask that you help us to pray for them. 
And God, that you would continue to do this great work in us. God, for those this morning who maybe do not know you yet, I ask that you would help them to see their need for you. See the pain, the prison they're in, and that the only freedom that there is is in Jesus. And if they simply say today, I need you, Jesus, that you come in and give forgiveness and a new life and purpose in our pains and prisons. God, as we sit here and hear this next song minister to our hearts, and as we sing another song, help us to worship you and prepare us for what you would have for us this next week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking some time with us today. Join us again next week as we continue our study in the book of Acts. 